Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women's Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Betty Dickinson, artist and author of Making Room in Advent, 25 Devotions for a Season of Wonder. In this beautiful new book, Betty invites readers into her personal reflections about Advent and the Christmas story through words and through printed images of her own original paintings. I loved talking with Betty about the way art can lead us into places of spiritual transformation, about the creative work that happens within all of us, and about the complex nature of motherhood and pregnancy in literal and metaphorical terms. Betty offers a real sense of grace and realism as we talk about Advent in the context of a busy December, and her words on the gift of embracing our human limits speak clearly to the lives of academics. Our conversation is full of delight and depth, and I think you'll enjoy listening in. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Betty Dickinson is a prophetic artist, writer, and speaker who invites audiences to connect with God through visual parables of the spiritual journey in her ministry, Awakening the Soul. Betty earned her MDiv through Grand Rapids Theological Seminary and has worked with ministries like InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, World Vision, Infinitum, and Kensington Church to awaken the soul through beauty and wonder. Betty and her husband live in Traverse City, Michigan, with their two boys. And, good news, we have a special offer for you from InterVarsity Press, a code for 30% off of Betty's book when you order it at ivpress.com before December 6th. Just enter the promo code WELL22, W-E-L-L-2-2, and I'll put this in the show notes too. We're sharing this interview with you well before Advent begins on November 27th. Advent always sneaks up on me, so we wanted to release this episode as an invitation for you to give some thought to the way you'd like to observe the season of Advent this year. Betty's new book is an excellent choice. We'll also link to some other ideas in the show notes, and you can watch for a special set of Advent reflections we'll be publishing at The Well in the first week of Advent, a new offering that you can enjoy in either audio or written form. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. I'm so excited to talk about your book. You've written a book for Advent. It is called Making Room in Advent. And as I read it, um, I began wrestling with the same question that I always wrestle with when I start thinking about Advent. So I wanted to start with this one. It's kind of a blocker for me. The question is, what does it look like for women in academia who are living full lives, perhaps especially full at the end of a semester, 
what does that look like for them to experience the fullness of Advent? And I know that you're familiar with academic rhythms in your own work. And so I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's great. And I think also too, especially as women, I feel like just culturally, it feels like we carry on a lot of extra family expectations in our, you know, like whether you're a mom and there's sort of the expectation that you're going to do all the cooking or whether you're, you know, uh, just a family member sort of contributing to holiday parties or all the things and all, you know, buying all the gifts. And so there's some cultural extra strain, I think, on women in this yeah. particular season. Um, but one of the things that really struck me as I was meditating on the idea of Advent and where I resonated with the story, particularly with Mary, is recognizing that when the angel Gabriel came to her and, you know, announced this news that she was going to have Jesus, he didn't ask her to all of a sudden become superwoman or be really good at multitasking all of a sudden, or, mm -hmm. you know, he didn't ask her to be anything other than she already was. And that there was something for me, especially as an Enneagram three who mm. likes to, you know, fill my schedule and get all the things done. And, and particularly, like, as I said, uh, just the additional tension around, oh, I got to make, you know, all these shutterfly gifts and all the things, you mm -hmm. know, there was something beautiful, though, about the invitation of recognizing my own human limitations and, and choosing limits and saying, yes, there's some things, especially for women in academia, there's some things that you just cannot choose out of, you yeah. know, that your, your schedule is full as it is. But there are some things where I think maybe the invitation in, in this time of Advent is to say there, it is okay to acknowledge that I have human limitations mm -hmm. and that actually that may be the very place that heaven touches earth, that, that for Mary, she didn't have to bust out of her human limits that God chose to dwell within her body as it is. And that she could just say, okay, you know, I will just surrender and yield to receive this thing, which I hope is uh, good news and an invitation for women who are particularly strained in this time is to say, it's okay to acknowledge that I have human limits in my body, that I, I can't do it all. And mm -hmm. that there may be some things that I can choose not to do and to choose limits as a way to be more fully present and available for God's work. And so the way that I often think about it is, okay, Maybe this year I don't have to set up every single box of decorations, you know, <laughs> in my family that we have. Or maybe I don't need to set up all the ornaments or maybe I don't need to go to all four holiday parties that I was invited to or bake all five dozen cookies. And I think particularly as women, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves or maybe we feel certain expectations in our families during this time that it's okay that we can choose less and mm -hmm. to say, you know, where we can say no, or where we can choose that boundary for ourselves, that that actually may be a place where we can be more present, where we can be more available to God's work in the present moment. That's one thing. But I also think, you know, women who are in academia are primarily living in a space operating out of the left side of their brain. So logic, analytical thinking, problem solving, strategy, getting stuff done. And I think for those of us who have to work in that space a lot of the time, 
sometimes embracing the fullness of Advent, perhaps maybe allowing ourselves to lean more into the right side of our brain, Mm. which is connected to our bodies, our feelings and emotions, uh, our imagination, and really choosing to sort of allow spiritual practices that will fill us up in those ways. And so maybe it's not, we don't need to dive into a full on scripture study, you know, or get like a theological robust understanding of the incarnation, but, you know, the right brain also processes loving attachments and relational Mm -hmm. connection. And if we want to help sort of shift us out of the left side of the brain for a more holistic understanding of God and the incarnation, Uh, sometimes it can be just giving ourselves permission to cultivate moments of beholding beauty, you know, whether it's on our morning run before we go, you know, into work, we are looking out at the snow and just taking in a deep breath and saying, thank you, God, for this and to slow down. And it doesn't need to be like adding on a whole bunch of other things, but just choosing moments where we can lean in, pay attention to our breath, slow ourselves down, remember that we're human and Mm -hmm. not machines and that God wants to meet us in those everyday moments. And so that's part of the reason why at the end of each entry, you know, it's, it's kind of bookended with these right brain opportunities. So at the, at the beginning, it starts with a painting and the art can help us kind of enter into the right side of the brain and to actually kind of let go of control and to just surrender and, and help us to behold God and to behold beauty and to hear from him there in ways that aren't always with words. And that's one of the spaces I want, I desire for people is just to kind of create that space for them to slow down, for them to be attentive to God's work and speaking to them and to slow down. But then also at the end of the day, there's a breath prayer. And what I love about breath prayers, it's really simple inhaling a prayer, you know, you know, your presence is a light and, you know, the exhale, open my eyes to see it is an example of one of the breath prayers. And what's beautiful about that is we can do them throughout the day, you know, on our drive to work while we're washing dishes, while we're taking the dog for a walk. And I often find that breath prayers to help me when I'm trying to fall asleep, Mm -hmm. to recenter myself, to surrender myself to God, to let go of some of my anxiety about what's happened throughout the day. And so that's my hope and desire uh, and trying to create those spaces for, for women in particular who are just striving and their Mm -hmm. lives are just so full. That is so helpful. And I really appreciate your, um, your articulation of this invitation to lean into our humanity and, um, and the way that God's presence can show up in the very limitations around us. I want to talk about um, your book, Making Room in Advent. And it is, you started to describe um, some parts of it, but it is such a beautiful Advent devotional. And um, it includes reflections and prayers and scripture, and then your own original artwork throughout the book. It's really, it, the object itself, the book is very, very beautiful. Thank um, you. And toward the at the beginning, you talk a little bit about the process of creating this book. And so can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I can tell you about that. And what a, a fuller picture I didn't describe in the book is that this 
whole book was really born out of a community of women leaders, which mm. I, I just think was, if you've heard of the Women's Daniel Project with InterVarsity, uh, I was a part of this cohort of women who we were journeying together and telling our leadership journeys and getting leadership development and invested in. And we each were assigned to do a project that helped us to lean into our strengths and our unique contribution and offer that for our organization um, and to encourage one another in that. And so it began just as a four part devotional that had my paintings and writing in it that we were going to use sort of as a an extra offering for ministry partners, you know, just as an added gift. And so it, it's really beautiful to me that it was born out of a time of all of these kind of Mary and Elizabeth's pouring into each other. Mm. And we actually even studied those passages together and really marinated in their journeys. So when I first started working on the first painting that I did was the Annunciation. And I remember being in my in-laws, they have a craft room and I was kind of working on it on the floor. And the way that the first few layers are created is I do a lot of water and liquid acrylic and it's, you know, flat kind of moving the painting around. And I remember working on that and thinking about Mary and just in awe, kind of beholding the incarnation, meditating on what it must've been like for her to be pregnant, to have that experience. And as I was creating, I thought, you know what? I, I might be pregnant. And I found out <laughs> the next day that I was. And it was just so sort of crazy. this crazy invitation from God to embody the message that I was creating. And, you know, the things that I started to learn as I journeyed alongside Mary and Elizabeth while being pregnant, I could not have learned in any other way. Hmm. And it wasn't just pregnancy as it was also the creative work itself was like this being within me that was taking shape and growing and all all of them at the same time you know like my son growing in me the paintings and this work growing within me and germinating and really just reflecting on the pace and the journey with Mary and Elizabeth and that's actually part of where I began to lean into this whole concept of limits is because I recognized that you know, in pregnancy, you actually take on additional human limits. You know, you get more tired, you are nauseous, you know, you don't have the same lung capacity. I had to slow down. And I thought, wow, like, what a gift that these limits are not an obstacle that I have to overcome, but really an invitation to receive the fullness of what God wants to do and that he can work when I'm bringing him my limits more powerfully than when I'm mm. trying to be like God and overcome them and be superhuman. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how the work began to unfold. And it's been about, you know, a five year journey. I can, I can measure how long I've been working on this book by how old my son is. He's four now. <laughs> uh, and so it's been a whole long time of waiting and letting this ripen within me and, giving it birth now. I mean, I'm really in the sort of labor and delivery process right now as the mm -hmm. book's released into the world. But that image has been so powerful for me as I've I've journeyed alongside Mary and Elizabeth and pondered all of this with God. So yeah. So and I want to talk a little bit more about um pregnancy and birth. And especially because you know your your book you know, you, you touch on these images throughout your book, um, but it really transcends the literal 
physical experience of bearing a child. And I'm wondering if you can say Mm -hmm. a little bit more about this, because as I read this, I confess, I started to feel a little concerned about women Mm -hmm. who are single or who do not have children and um, that there might be a sense of exclusion. But my gut feeling is that you really intend this metaphor to be taken much more broadly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as, as I share in the book, I had uh, a lot of experience. I had a couple miscarriages myself mm-hmm. and struggled with infertility for a while. And so the last thing that I would want is for women reading this to feel excluded <clears throat> or, you know, awaken a sense of pain or longing in them. Mm-hmm. But I think what, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw so beautifully displayed in Mary and Elizabeth's journey is that this isn't just a physical thing that they're birthing, right? This is a spiritual new thing that God is doing in their time that, as you said, sort of transcends just the the human experience. I mean, obviously they are embodying this. They're the ones giving birth to John the Baptist and to Jesus, but there's also grief in this story. And Mm -hmm. especially when I was painting Elizabeth, a friend of mine had gone through a miscarriage and I was really interceding for her and sitting in that grief with her while I was painting Elizabeth. And what was fascinating is she, she then got found out she was pregnant on her baby's due date again. So she was pregnant again. And when I processed that with her, she was just telling me about how much even becoming pregnant, there was still the grief of her loss. Mm. And I think that really Elizabeth holds that tension that the the grief of her barrenness all her life is not taken away by the fact that she gets pregnant. And, and I think that that's what I wanted to capture in the arts. And I think in the, the paintings, the images have a way of holding those two things in tension. It's holding the grief of the barrenness and the joy of pregnancy. And I think my hope and desire is that women re- reading this can hold both and encounter God afresh in both. And I think one of the comforting things for me right after I had gone through my second miscarriage and Christmas was coming around and I was kind of grieving about not being pregnant Mm -hmm. and losing this little one. One of the greatest comforts that God gave me in that time was what the angels say to the shepherds, that the angels, when they appear to the shepherds, they say a savior has been born to you. And that word to you just so deeply resonated with me that I could behold infant Jesus in my arms and dote on him with all of my love and all my desire and all of my grief and not be afraid that that I would lose him, Hmm. you know, and just come to him, beholding him as this infant that I so longed for that he could carry within his body all of my grief and all of my joy and all of my adoration that I wanted to give on an infant, I could give it upon him. And so there was some mysterious way that God met me in the midst of that. And then I think is sort of what you were saying about kind of this whole thing transcending just this physical pregnancy that I think also Luke dignifies women. And it's not just because they're physically pregnant. I think women in our core, our identity is that we bring life Mm -hmm. wherever we go. 
whether it's a physical child or not, we have the, we have the capacity for God to dwell within us, to create something new within us that we can then yield and give labor to in the world, whether it's a creative project that we're working on, like this painting series, you know, or whether it's a strategic idea in the workforce that we're trying to push out, whether it's the way that we love someone well and create spaces of belonging and beholding like mothers in our churches or our communities. I think the way that women, you know, are expressed through the Advent narrative does all of that in all of the layers, whether you're single, whether you've adopted, whether you long to have children and you can't, women have this beautiful capacity to bring life and to nurture new life wherever they go. And so I hope and desire that women who read this will feel that Mm -hmm. um, and to really sit in the truth of that and to find honor that they're honored. Because I mean, Luke, in a, I mean, in a patriarchal culture, he chose to center the story on these women, which was a bold move in his time, but there's something beautiful that they offer through their gifts, through, through the words that they proclaim to one another. You know, I mean, Elizabeth has these bold declarations, both to Mary and John the Baptist of who they are, you know, and just Mary has all of this beautiful Magnificat and all the things that she says that obviously it's not just about this baby, but it's the work that God is doing within her soul as well, that they're, they're, um, they're offering to one another and the world around them. So, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is beautiful. And I, I appreciate your perspective about Luke really centering these women. It is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it also brings to mind, um, Another thing I wanted to ask, which is about the ideas of calling and vocation. And in your reflections, um, you know, you you talk about calling and vocation um, a few different times. And I found myself kind of pulled up short in particular by your comparison of Zechariah and Mary's reactions to their calling mm-hmm. and the issue of uncertainty and the way that um, that there was there's some contrast in the way that they deal with the uncertainty that is um, going to befall them. And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about your own sense of calling and, you know, where have you struggled with uncertainty in this way? (laughs) Oh, yes, goodness. Uh, Well, as I said, you know, as an Enneagram 3 achiever, you know, I really like to have a plan and I like to be able to follow it step by step. And Mm -hmm. I like to have, you know, uh, security in my sense of, of calling and particularly when it comes to other people. Uh, sort of responding and receiving me as I am in my calling. And so yet one of the things I've discovered in my journey as an artist, and particularly to really own who I am as an artist, is that this road to following God's call is so laced with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I you know, was on a prayer retreat several years ago and just really sense God say, I want you to, Betty, I want you to start integrating your paintings and your writing and your speaking to create visual parables for the spiritual journey. Mm. And I, I remember receiving that and going, I have no idea what that is or even what it's going to look like. And there were not a ton of models for me of people who were actually doing that. Mm. And so it's been a long time 
where I think for a long time, I sort of, I was looking at the world and looking at my relationships, waiting to be asked to do the thing that God wanted me to do, waiting for permission, waiting for certainty that there was a plan and that there was a course that I could follow, you know, <laughs> waiting for the models to show, show themselves. But I think especially over my sabbatical in 2020, there was just a real sense that God was saying, you know, Betty, you've been waiting for permission on the outside to be accepted, to be approved, to be, you know, received as an artist, but I need you to own the thing that I'm doing on the inside of you. And that there is this kind of internal choosing that we need to do for ourselves as we pursue God's call on our lives that we're not always going to have a job opportunity that's exactly the thing that we want to do. The world may not even be asking for the very thing that we mm -hmm. know the world needs. And I think it took a long time for me to begin choosing myself and choosing and trusting this new thing that God was doing on the inside and sort of this self-validation, you know, of like, okay, whether or not people are asking for this, whether or not there's a job for this, you know, I need to choose to own this and to stop waiting for permission, mm -hmm. but to just do it and to pursue it. And um, there's this uh, book called The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. And that was sort of my manual for, for my sabbatical of trying to figure out this artist's way. And one of the things she talks about is there's this thing called synchronicity that when we begin to actually choose our gifts and when we begin to move forward in it and trusting the uncertainty and, and leaning into that, surrendering control uh, and leaning into the mystery like Mary did, the world begins to open up and opportunities begin to come to us that we never would have expected. And that's what really started to happen for me. I mean, even creating this book or mm -hmm. partnering with different people that I never would have imagined partnering with, all of a sudden these things started to show up after I leaned into the uncertainty and after I I began to choose this this calling. And so I think that there's just this wrestling that all of us have to go through in our oh. call that at some point we need to embrace that uncertainty as part of the journey and that until we trust the inner work God is doing within us, uh, we might not be able to navigate the the uncertainty. We may, we may need to like figure out how to embrace that within ourselves. So, yeah, I, I love, I love that you were, you were talking about the artist way and that you were using that as a way to, um, like build up your courage. And I think mm. that book, um, I've, I've gone through that a few times and that book, um, isn't really, it doesn't even need to be for artists. It can really be right. for anyone, right? Anyone mm -hmm. who wishes to bring forth something new into the world. Mm -hmm. Well, I also, I wanted to ask a little bit about Mary and Elizabeth. So I'm wondering after writing this book, what thoughts do you have on the ways women support one another in God's kingdom? Yeah, well, I think so much of this came also out of my own journey. And in the dedication, I list several Elizabeths in my life who even mm -hmm. helped this book to come forth. And I think <clears throat> what's beautiful about their interaction is, you know, particularly that moment when Mary comes to Elizabeth's home and you just can feel the doubt and the uncertainty that she's in, you know, and the wrestling and the, the fear 
because there's so much risk for her. There's risks in childbirth. There's risks of shame and familial mm -hmm. rejection. And I mean, it's even like, gosh, did I hear right? You know, I can just only imagine. She's like, what was I on something? Was that a dream? You know what? And yet when she shows up to Elizabeth's home and she sees that Elizabeth too is bearing a promise in her womb, that she's pregnant, a miraculous pregnancy after many years of barrenness, one thing I think is the fact that God doesn't let her go alone. Neither of them have to go this journey alone. That's going to be very difficult for them that God has given them each other. And the sense of bearing one another's journey in this is so beautifully displayed. But also Elizabeth sees something in Mary that is not visible to mm. the human eye and she calls it forth. And I just have resonated with, with that because there have been many times in my life where, like I said, I had this thing in me, this gift in me, this longing, this sort of wrestling with the new thing God was germinating in me, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't even know if I could trust it. But when somebody else, and you know, an older mentor or uh, somebody who's been along the journey calls that forth in me and they name the stirring that's on the inside, something then begins to erupt in me and we be we become seen mm -hmm. in a way that we really need to emerge into the fullness of ourselves. And that's what happens for Mary. So, you know, when Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear, you know, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Something stirs within Mary where she begins to own her own gifts and her own calling. And she bursts forth singing this Magnificat, the song mm -hmm. that really is the song I think she was meant to sing with her life. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens, I think, for us as women when we refuse to compare or to get envious or jealous of one another. I mean, Elizabeth could have been very right. resentful about the fact that, you know, she's the older one. She's culturally superior. You know, her husband is the priest. She could have been like, well, that should have been me, you know, <laughs> yet she's secure in who she is because she has, you know, taken that time of solitude. She, she was in seclusion for five months, really marinating and receiving this thing. And I think it's out of that place of her own security and what God is doing in her life that she can call forth this thing and marry and and because of that, this new sense of um, becoming and arising into her true self can happen for Mary. And I just think, goodness, if we could do that for one another as women, yeah. where we could call forth the unseen thing and, and to recognize how important that is to see something in someone else and to not be so focused in on our own insecurities or our own doubts or wrestlings or jealousy or envy or resentment or all the things that I think sometimes blind us mm -hmm. to somebody else where we can show up in the room instead of saying, here I am, you know, but can show up in the room looking for, oh, there you are. Let me behold you. Let me, let me speak into you. Let me, you know, share with you what I see God doing in your life. That brings so much life. And, and there's so many Marys out there. I think that need older women to see something in them and to call it forth. And we just cannot, we cannot overestimate the power that that has. Yeah. Yeah. You're really painting a picture of 
generosity of mm-hmm. that kind of Philippians two thinking of uh you know another person as as higher mm-hmm. than than our, mm-hmm. ourselves and mm-hmm. humility. I wanted to ask also, so I I spent some time looking at your blog and you have a number of really fun and interesting um, posts on there. And I was inspired by a post that you had written that included a reflection on a book by Juliet Benner called Contemplative Vision. And your thoughts there align well with what you're doing in Making Room in Advent as you invite people to engage with your paintings in a prayerful way. So I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. And I'm especially curious because I recently, I live in Chicago and I recently purchased a membership at the Art Institute of Chicago. And I've been going every once in a while and I feel like I'm on a journey of learning how to connect mm. with God through art. It's It kind of felt like an invitation from God to purchase this membership and to discipline myself to go when I can. And, but it all feels really new. So I would love, I'd love your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, I have to name too, I think sometimes, especially for, for people in academia, looking at art can be feel threatening because I think, I don't know about you, but I sometimes, even as an artist, put a lot of pressure on myself to understand what the piece is, or I'm supposed to know what this means, or, Mm -hmm. you know, how, like you come to a piece and feel like I, you know, I might not get it. And I think that sometimes when I approach that way, I kind of miss the point <laughs> because yeah. the whole point is surrender. Mm-hmm. And actually, we we lean into the practice of surrender when we're beholding a piece of art because rather than us coming in feeling like we need to understand it or control it or have that kind of certainty, as we talked about, we it forces us to let go and it forces us to... Uh, come in a position of, I'm going to just open myself to whatever this piece wants to say to me. And just like a lot of times, I think when we talk about the reading of scripture, you know, we surrender our own agenda, we surrender our own kind of understanding of what we think the text should be. And instead, allow it to say what it wants to say to us, you know, allow Mm -hmm. it to form us, allow it to change us. And you know, the the one quote that Juliet Benner says in her book, the one that is in that blog post is she says, physical seeing is a doorway to spiritual seeing. Hmm. And the sense that when we give a piece of work the time and we slow down, which is a key mm-hmm. component there. And actually, there's a lot of interesting neuroscience about this that really for beauty or for a piece of art to have an effect on us, we need to give it at least like 20 minutes, mm-hmm. which is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And Makoto Fujimara talks about this some in his book, Art Art and Faith, where he says, you know, for his work in particular, you actually cannot really experience the fullness of the piece unless you have, you know, sat at its feet for a good 20 minutes, which I think is a really hard discipline for us who run at a fast pace, or we live in an Instagram culture where we just scroll really quickly past images, but we, um, we're starting to engage the right side of the brain, as I talked about before, which is where our relational connections form our imagination, but also character formation comes out of right brain processes. And there's this beautiful quote by William Blake, who says, we become what we behold. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And throughout scripture, you know, it says, I think it's like a thousand times the word behold is used and behold is a sense of seeing beyond just this physical image to behold the deeper thing, to surrender ourselves, to see the spiritual reality at work underneath the physical reality. And, and it's interesting because even in, you know, second Corinthians three eighteen. It talks about beholding Jesus and saying, and all, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And there's this sense that when we give a work, the time to do its work on us, we change. Mm -hmm. And when we slow down and we surrender and we um, allow it to speak to us and arise something within us, whether it's a thought or a feeling or just a deeper sense of knowing, um, we can be changed. And so, but I think, again, I think people are intimidated by that because they're mm -hmm. like, well, how do I do that? And what's the, what's the, what's the left brain, you know, process of like the checklist that I need to do right. in order to actually make this happen. But I think if we can approach art more in the posture of, I mean, I may not get it, or I might not understand what it means, but that's okay. The whole intention here is that I open myself to what the work wants to say to me and that I give it the space and the time to transform me and that you you may see spiritual realities at work that you can't explain with your left brain, right? And mm -hmm. it's interesting, like neuroscience has shown that we actually process information from the right side of the brain to the left. So we have an encounter, we have an experience, we behold beauty, and then our left side of the brain then put words to it. And so when we approach art, we need to kind of first let go of sort of the left brain processes of control or logical thinking or analytical thinking or even language to let the right side of the brain process in the way that it needs to. And um, yeah, so I don't know if that helps at all as you think about yeah. No, it's a journey. And that yeah. is so it's really interesting. And um, I mean, do you do this when you go when you go to a museum? Do you do you find a painting and and look at it for 20 minutes? Like, have you done that? Sometimes. I mean, it's been a while since I've been to a gallery. You know, I think you've got little kids. COVID, yeah. I, I've got little <laughs> kids, right, who don't do so well of sitting in front of a painting for 20 minutes. Right, right. <laughs> Although I will say I have done the practice with them. Where just recently I led them through a Visio Divina and it was for a project I was doing with World Vision. We're actually doing some work for Advent. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. But I think that kids have a way of getting past, like they don't have all the uh, left brain processes that sometimes I think trip us up when we're mm -hmm. looking at an image. They just say what they, you know, what they, what comes to mind, what are they, mm -hmm. like they're curious about something and they have the ability to often, I think, lead me mm -hmm. into a sense of wonder and beholding that I often miss out on. But, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I'm working towards as well mm -hmm. in, in myself. And part of the reason why I've created Visio Divina audio guides in my work is because Sometimes it just takes somebody guiding you through the process to give yourself permission to give some space and some yeah. silence so that you can recognize like, oh, okay, I don't need to rush on to understand it, or I can just sit here for a moment and let it be misunderstood or sit with the tension of something that's coming up in me as I look at it. Um, and, and just, I think we've lost the art 
no pun yeah. intended. We've lost the art of, <laughs> of sitting and a slowing and allowing an image to have its effect on us. And so that's one of the things I'm trying to help other people cultivate as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. So um, tell, tell us a little bit about how people can find you and follow your work. And you mentioned Visio Divina guides. I know that you, you have some of those that people can look at, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I'd love to offer um, for your audience, if anyone's interested in this whole Visio Divina practice and Visio Divina just essentially means divine seeing it's Latin Mm -hmm. for divine seeing. It's um, a way of beholding a piece of art as a way of prayer. And I know that again, this is a struggle for people to kind of figure out how to do on their own. So I've created um, these audio guides that go with the paintings in the book. And so if any of you would like to kind of see an image of the painting and then have an audio guided link to behold the piece with Visio Divina, you could text the code WONDER to the number 55444. And that'll send you one of the images of actually the shepherds beholding Jesus and and their whole story of of opening their eyes to see. And so again, that's WONDER 55444. And you can just follow the prompts and that'll go right to your inbox. So that's one way of continuing to connect with me. But also I'm on Instagram at Betty, B-E-T-T-E underscore Dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N, or just BettyDickinson.com would be a way that you could connect. Okay, great. Well, and we'll put um, all that information in the show notes so that people can connect with you. And I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Anne. Betty's book offers a thoughtful and gentle journey through Advent. I read through this book quickly in preparation for our interview, and I'm looking forward to savoring it more slowly through the month of December. Remember to order your own copy with our 30% off code, WELL22, at ivypress.com before December 6th. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a little taste of Betty's book. The Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcast as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from Making Room in Advent. What if our limits are not an obstacle, but an invitation? What if our limits are the very place where heaven touches earth? Because the beautiful mystery of the Annunciation is this. God chooses to dwell within our human limitations. And when he dwells within our human limits, our souls expand to accommodate his infinite presence in our lives.